Oops. I know uh, Robert said this morning I could wear shorts, but I chose to wear trousers or jeans. Just my personal choice. <laughs> Despite the heat. <clears throat> um, I suggested that we change the service round a little bit this evening. Um, I feel this passage is uh, centred on Jesus. And I think it will help us as we come later on around the table. Um, so that's why we're doing things a little bit different this, this evening. I used to message George. I used to say to him, are you ready for, uh, for the sermon for the Sunday? And he'd say, uh, sermon's never ready. You, you never finished it. And uh, I've realised that. Five to five, I was still typing things. And then it comes to printing and you know what printers are like they never work when you want them to so I've, I've brought my laptop with me because I didn't have time to print off <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to start uh, these Sunday evenings to go through the book of Colossians and um, I'll, I'll introduce us a little bit into this book into this letter that Paul's written a um, bit of a heading of, of being first we all I wonder if who here likes being first all of us like to be winning at something, don't we? I was uh, able to go to Abbey Elsie Sports Day the other day. Um, lots of different um, games that she was involved in and she really enjoyed it. And there was only one race where, where it really mattered, if that makes sense. All the other games, they just playing, just joining in. There was only one race at the end where they were giving out rewards for first, second and third. That's the way schools are nowadays, then, can't they? Yeah. they don't, you don't seem to be... Uh, rewarded for, for coming first, second or third. Um, but this is the only race that Abigail really enjoyed. She came second, it was a running race, and she really enjoyed it. She likes, I guess she likes to be a bit competitive. And I was just thinking, if, if she'd have been training hard for that race, then she probably would have deserved to be first, wouldn't she? Um, if, we, if we work at things and if we do things, we do deserve to come first sometimes. And um, that's what this letter is about today. It's about Jesus. And Jesus deserved to be first, doesn't he? He deserved to come first in our lives and first in our church. And that's what this letter is about. The key theme to Colossians is Jesus Christ is first in everything. And there's a posh word, preeminent. That means first. He is first in importance and first in honour. He is the head. He's the beginning, and he is the firstborn. Also, another posh word is preeminence. Christ is first place. Preeminence, first place. First in order of importance, first in rank. And Jesus created all, he created all things. God created all things. Paul's letter, this letter uh, to, the, to the Colossians was written in AD, around AD 60. And it was also written uh, a little bit by Timothy. It says that in, in verse 1, um, from our brother Timothy. But mainly written by Paul, it is believed. And it was written when Paul was under house arrest, um, when he was in Rome. Um, we all know that uh, he was uh, arrested for telling people that Jesus Christ was the risen Lord. So this is, been, this is the time when Paul wrote this letter. Now, it looks like Epaphras, who's mentioned in this, in this passage, uh, went to Rome to visit Paul whilst he was imprisoned, um, to update him, to update Paul on how the church was going. 
um, how the church was doing overall, but he also mentioned uh, to tell things that uh, some false teachings that were creeping into the church, the false teachings which denied Christ being the head of the church. So Paul sent this letter back by through Epaphras to help the church get back on track. He writes about the superiority of Jesus, that's the preeminence word, and his deity, for he is truly God. Um, this letter begins like 12 other letters with the name Paul, and it's addressed to the Gentiles. It was likely that the church in Coloss was founded by Epaphras. In chapter 1, verse 7, says, You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So that's what it says there. The, the, the people learned from Epaphras. So that we believe that uh, the church was founded by Epaphras. And the church consisted of Gentile Christians. Now, Coloss was one of three adjacent cities located about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. Um, if you look on your maps, the back of the Bibles, I've never really understood them. Actually, this is the one time, I'll be honest, this is the one time that I've looked at these maps and you can see quite well the, uh, the three cities. Um, the, the, the other two cities were uh, Laodicea and Hyopolis. Hyopolis. Now, this area of Coloss was a meeting point of east and west because it was an important trade route and it passed through there. So if you look on that map, you can see that pretty much those three, those three cities are like right in the center. People would have had to travel through from one place to the other. So you can imagine all different types of people passing through, all from different areas with different religious beliefs and their own ideas. Now these religious beliefs would have been threatening to the local church. So Paul was responding to the constant influx and new ideas and doctrines which were threatening the local church. At one time, all three cities were growing and prosperous, but gradually, gradually, Coloss slipped to a, what we call a second-rate position. It became a small town, um, so it was like mediocre, uh, average quality, not a, very good, not a very good town anymore. So although it was a small town, the church there was still important, and it, it was so important in, that uh, it received the attention of the Apostle Paul. Interestingly, in the church in Laodicea, um, they also received a letter from Paul, but uh, apparently that's been lost. If you, uh, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. So, obviously, we don't have that, that letter. Um, so, like I say, it's probably been lost. No, people say all the time that the Bible is irrelevant, and it isn't. We can see from this letter how, you know, that it isn't irrelevant. The church today desperately needs this message from Colossians. Some churches are in a mess, and they need to apply the teachings of this letter to their churches. You look at the, uh, the C of E churches, for instance, and uh, they, they display their rainbow flags, or the pride flags. The Bible tells us about pride. Uh, in Proverbs, Proverbs 8.13, Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud at heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. 
And also we hear a lot of uh, people that go to churches locally. Um, they, don't, they don't even know if they're sure of heaven. And it says in verse 5 in this passage that your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You can be confident of going to heaven. Yesterday we went out for a walk along the beach and just one example of, of someone, it was a, a, a lady we were talking to and she's 92 years old. She's been going to church her whole life. And um, she, we had a really good chat with her. Clearly had all the marbles. She had a car key in her hand, so she's still able to drive just to prove that she was you know, fit and well and healthy. And she told us her life story. And in that life story, it didn't include when she gave her life to Jesus. She's been going to church her whole life for 92 years. And she goes to a local church and she said, I hope that I've been good enough to go to heaven. It's really sad, isn't it? That people don't know of this hope that is reserved for them in heaven. We were able to obviously share the gospel with her and tell her how you can be sure of heaven. So Jesus needs to be number one in our churches. We live in a day when religious toleration is interpreted to mean that one religion is just as good as another. Equality and inclusiveness. It's all rammed down our throats and in our brains, isn't it? They've, people think that all religions are all the same, all, all, all good, all, all, to, all to be tolerated. But the truth that Jesus loves you and died for you and that he wants a relationship with you, that's what, that's what needs to be told to people, that Jesus loves you. If you ignore him and you don't acknowledge him, he'll ignore you on the day of judgment. Some people try to take the best from various religions and they manufacture their own private religions. <clears throat> people talk about karma, whether you've been good, you'll get good luck, or if you've been bad, you'll get bad things happen to you. And that comes from Buddhism and Hinduism. People are picking and choosing what they want to hear. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own ideas, their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You see, this is God's word that we're talking about. And you can't pick and choose from it. Well, you don't need to. You don't need to pick, choose, pick and choose things out of it. It's all relevant and it's all true. See, to many people, Jesus Christ is just one of several great religious teachers with no more authority than anyone else. But they are so wrong. He is God's son. He is God who came to earth in human flesh. He died to take a punishment for us for the things we've done wrong. He may be spoken about, but he's, he isn't first place in churches and he's not first place in people's lives. And this results in him slowly being unimportant. See, this man who came to give us life and have it to the full is becoming unimportant. He laid down his life for us. Churches are in danger of diluting the faith in their attempt to include all types of beliefs. And it's happening today, isn't it? People try to harmonise and unite many different schools of thought and come up with a superior religion. Principles and ideas from all types of religions and man-made beliefs are secretly creeping into churches. They're not denying Christ, but are de-emphasising, 
de-enthroning him and robbing him of his rightful place as the head and the first and foremost place in church. Churches need to bring back the Bible and its teachings into church. When we look at Colossians and Ephesians, it's very similar. They're similar in style, but they're different in emphasis. Ephesians talks about all believers, calling them the body of Christ. Colossians talks about the head body, which is Jesus Christ, and putting him first. In Ephesians, we read that church of Christ is the main concern. In Colossians, the church of Christ is emphasised. Sorry, in Colossians, the Christ of the church is emphasised. See, both are needed. There cannot be a body without a head, nor a head without a body. All the way through Colossians, if you flick through it, you notice Christ, Christ, Christ. It's repeated all the way through Colossians. So when we come to chapter 1, we see Paul opens this letter as he opens so many letters that he's written. It says, we always thank God. And like Paul, we should be grateful for what God is doing in the lives of others and in other churches. As Christians, we are all members of one body. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. So if one member of the body is strengthened, this helps strengthen the entire body. If one church experiences a rival, it will help and encourage other churches. There's three words which Paul likes to use, and these are faith, love, and hope. He wants everyone to have faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants everyone to love, have love towards others and a hope of heaven. We can be sure of heaven, as I've always said, and we need to make sure we ask people if they are also sure of heaven. Many times we, we hear people when, when I'm out on the streets or wherever, people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And I think sometimes they say that to get rid of you. You think, all right, you're a Christian, I'll leave you alone. But I never leave it at that. I always say, are you sure of heaven? And it's so, it's, it's, there are so many people that say, I am not sure of heaven. I hope to go to heaven. So it's important that we ask people, even our friends that come to, come to church, we need to ask them, are you sure of heaven? <clears throat> See, people think it's by being good or by good works. But what would be the point of Jesus dying if it was for our, if, if we needed to work to get to heaven? Just like Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you will, not maybe, or you can have hope, but you will be with me in paradise. It's not by works. It's through what Jesus has done for us. In verse 4, Paul talks about faith in Christ Jesus. Everybody has faith in something. Faith is only as good as the object in which the person puts their trust. So the jungle pagan who might worship a god of stone or the educated city pagan who worships money or possessions or status 
Both these cases, their faith is empty. The true Christian believer has faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is based on the word of truth from God's word. Any other faith is superstition and cannot save us or them from anything. Jesus Christ is the only person who can save us. In verse 5, it says, The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has solved the problem of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we all know the word gospel means good news. And notice that it says the true message, not the watered-down message, but the true message. The true message is good news. When we look at verse 6, the first part of verse 6, Paul said that the gospel was bearing fruit all over the world. The word of God is the only seed that can be planted anywhere in the world and bear fruit. If people are to be saved, they must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for them to hear it, we who are saved must carry this message on. Are you doing your part? Just like Robert was saying this morning, when was the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ? It's a great feeling, believe me. It's a great feeling. Jesus speaks about fulfilling his desires, about his food which he needs to satisfy him in John's Gospel, the woman at the well. His great desire to fulfill his need was to talk to the woman at the well and save her soul. His disciples said to him, come and eat. And Jesus' reply was, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And like I say, as Robert has said this morning, you will see see and feel the benefit of talking to someone about Jesus Christ. Another occasion yesterday, it it was so obvious that we needed to be out yesterday. We spoke to a lady, she was out with her husband. And um, she, uh, I can't remember how, she had something written on a t-shirt, I can't remember what it was. Something, um, something about live for today or something. And Vic was, saw it and he was going to talk to her, he was going to use it. And uh, the lady said, yeah, it's because I've got cancer and I've not got long left. And um, we, we just shared the gospel with her. We had... Um, uh, Gideon's or Good News for Everyone New Testament and Psalms and she took that and I also had a, a tract on me that said um, are you sure of heaven and we were able to share with her how you can be sure of heaven she does understand how she can be sure of heaven and the thought of just watering the seed or planting that seed in, in her and the thought that she could you know Give her life to Jesus because of what we've said. It's just an amazing feeling. And I would encourage anyone here to do it, to take any opportunity to share with Jesus with people. <clears throat> in the second part of verse 6, we read about grace. God in his grace gives me what I do not deserve. Grace is God's favour shown to undeserving sinners. The reason the gospel is good news is because of grace. God is willing and able to save all who trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel centers on one person, Jesus Christ. The theme of this letter is the first place of Jesus Christ, and he is certainly first in the gospel. The false teachers and people who come up with their own religious beliefs were and still are trying to move Jesus Christ 
from his first spot. But to do this, is, it is to destroy the gospel. It is Christ who died for us, no one else. Christ who rose again, no one else. The gospel does not center on a doctrine or religious system, but on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The faithfulness of the believers of Colossus was so wonderful that people talked about it. People heard about it from Epaphras. It says that in verse 8, Epaphras told us about your love in the Spirit. Is our Christian life the kind that encourages others and makes it easy for them to see who Christ is and what Christ has done for us? Is our church fellowship exciting and not boring? Do we go to church feeling excited? Do people see that we're excited about going to church? Because it is exciting, isn't it? Coming to church and learning about him. Are the unsaved taking notice about the excitement that we have that one day we will be in heaven? Verse 9 to 12 talks about the will of God. And it's an important part of the Christian life to know the will of God. God wants us to know and understand his will. Ephesians 5.17 says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, God isn't a distant dictator who issues orders and never explains. Because we are his friends. We can know what he's doing and why he's, why he's doing it. Jesus says this in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for our friend you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because of servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i call you friends for everything i learned from my father i have made known to you how amazing is that that we are called jesus friends if we do what he commands us to do he calls us his friends as we, as we read God's word and pray, we discover new and exciting truths about God's will for his people, about God's will for us. In verse 10, the way you live will always honour and please the Lord, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. The way you live, the way you live will always honour and please the Lord. How exciting is that? We can honour and please the Lord. And we will produce fruit, good fruit. In verse 11, Paul prays for endurance and patience that the believers need. Now this patience isn't sitting around in a, in a rocking chair and waiting for God to do something. It's a soldier on the battlefield, keeping on when the going gets tough. It's the runner on the racetrack who refuses to stop because he wants to win the race. We keep going because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 13 says, Jesus Christ is preeminent. It's that word again, preeminent. He is first. First in salvation. No other, no other person could redeem us or forgive us. No one can transfer us into God's kingdom and do it wholly by grace. 
The word purchase, my translation says purchase in verse 14. It reminds us of the cost of our salvation. See, Moses and the Israelites only had to shed the blood of the Lord to be delivered from Egypt. But Jesus had to shed his own blood to deliver us from sin. Verse 14, Jesus purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That is why Jesus deserves to be first. First in our lives and first in our church. Jesus deserves to be first.